Hello and welcome back to another fascinating episode of the Bakersfield Health Channel. Today we are fortunate enough to introduce a new guest to the show, Dr. Alvarez. He is an internal medicine specialist in Bakersfield, California and graduated in 1981. Having more than 40 years of diverse experiences, Dr. Alvarez is more than qualified to talk to us today about diabetes and the consequences that can occur from it. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Alvarez. So today I wanted to talk more specifically about diabetes and some of the major consequences of it. Now, obviously we spoke about it in a previous episode, but I thought it might be quite helpful for us to just do a quick overview of the disease. So first off, let's start by talking about the two different types of diabetes. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? Yes, the types of diabetes that we have is type one and type two, the most common. Type one is uh, we see it in uh, children uh, after they're born. We find that they're in, unable to produce the adequate amount of insulin to be able to metabolize the sugar. So therefore they end up having an elevated sugar and they cannot be treated with any other medication other than insulin. So they are totally insulin dependent. So that's the type one diabetic. And then we see the type two. The type two, we see it as we go get older we have uh, uh, more of a weight gain, which happens to be the insulin resistance, which you find mostly all over the world. Then there's the genetic that comes from mom and dad, the grandparents. And then also, if you have any other illnesses, you may end up having the problem with type 2 diabetes. Now, we're seeing more and more diabetics in children. And what I'm talking about is teenagers because of the obesity problem. And as they get um, larger and larger in size, the inability to utilize the insulin appropriately by the cells increases. And by the inability to use the insulin, then we end up having what we call the hyperglycemia or high sugar. And that's how we end up having more diabetics in the teenage group. And then obviously, the as we get older, the 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're on up. You also have the diabetics that are because they're 80 or 90 years old, in fact, it just doesn't produce enough insulin. The other type is that you have um, the ones that are very on steroids, uh, then that kind of insulin uh, resistance increases because of the steroid itself. It reduces the inability of the cells to utilize the, the insulin or the sugar. And therefore, you see that also with gestational diabetes. When women are pregnant, then we see that the increase in hormones, especially the progesterone that maintains the pregnancy, that progesterone prevents the insulin from doing its job and having the sugar going to the cells. And that's how we get the insulin resistance. Okay. So it's interesting to see the different kind of groups and how they're impacted. So you spoke about type 2 diabetes and how you develop that later on in life. Are there any kind of particular factors? I know you touched on a few there. Are there any other kind of factors that affect the likelihood of developing type two diabetes? Yeah, there's a few more. One of the very common ones that we see is alcoholism. With alcoholism, you destroy your pancreas simply because of the increased amount of alcohol intake and you develop what we call pancreatitis. And if you develop chronic pancreatitis or pancreatitis itself, you're destroying your, your pancreas and therefore you're gonna end up producing less insulin therefore becoming a type two diabetic based on that. 
infection can also be another problem, an infection to the pancreas that will give you pancreatitis and destroying part of the pancreas or significant amount. Trauma from an automobile accident. You can have traumatic events and then you end up destroying the a significant amount of the pancreas and then you end up having diabetes secondary to that. So there are a few others and obviously they use steroids. So those are other possible ways that you can have diabetes other than your typical type 1 and type 2. Yeah, absolutely. And how might a patient know that they have diabetes? Are there particular symptoms that they can be looking out for? The symptomatology on a diabetic is very classical when they come to the doctor and they say, doctor, I'm drinking lots of water and going to the bathroom a lot. That's polydipsia, which is drinking lots of water, and polyuria is urinating a lot. Also polyphagia, which means I'm eating and eating to make up the difference. And then obviously weight loss. What we also find in our, when they come and see us, if a patient's complaining of dizziness and blur vision, sometimes they don't know they're diabetics, but their sugar's so high that they can have a little unsteadiness, a little dizziness, vision issue, exhaustion. That's classical for diabetics. When you have diabetes, you get home from work and you're exhausted that you don't even have the energy to go get a glass of water. You don't have diabetes, you come home from work, you sit down and you still go get a glass of water because of the fact that you need to be drinking water. You're thirsty. Well, diabetics just imposes this heaviness in you that you sit down and you go to sleep and you get home. And that's from a day's work. So diabetics have a few... Um, issues that they can that we can identify that we can say okay you guys are diabetics or this patient's a diabetic the other way is obviously by doing blood tests if we do blood tests the fasting blood sugar if it's greater than 126 we like to be maybe about 100 but if it's high then we get concerned then we test it again we get a sugar load or we go by the classical hemoglobin a1c which tells us how high the sugar has been in the last three months. The higher it is, the higher the uh, the number in hemoglobin A1C, then you have the, uh, the numbers that we look at. If it's seven, you're running about 150 average. If it's 180, you're running about a eight average of hemoglobin A1C. If it's 210, then you're running pretty much about a... Uh, nine or 10, and it goes higher and higher. And unfortunately, we in our, in our uh, office sometimes see patients that are farm workers, and they come in with the hemoglobin A1C of 14 and 16. And they've lost a lot of weight, but they just keep on working because that's a need that they need, that they have to do as work. And that's obviously really interesting for our listeners to know and kind of spot the symptoms maybe in themselves or in a loved one. Is there kind of a type of person which is particularly at risk to things like weight, age, genetics impact it? Well, genetics, if your mom and dad had diabetes, if your mom had it, it's going to be the possibility of having it is 50%. If your mom and dad had diabetes, then it's 100%. You may not get it, but that's the possibility. If your grandparents had it, then it increases the risk even more. So genetics is a big, big deal when it comes to passing on diabetes. Then you add the weight issue that we have now. 
And then you have the recreational alcohol or drugs. That is also a problem that we see. That's why you see more and more diabetics. Then obviously the the just the age itself. As we get older, our bodily functions diminish all throughout. So therefore your organs or your glands are going to reduce the production of hormones. One of them being the pancreas will produce less insulin, just like the thyroid produces less thyroid hormone. And if we are 80 or 90 years old, you could have diabetes just based on the fact that you are elderly and you are not producing enough insulin. And therefore, it may not be genetic or anything. You may be a thin person, but you're just getting older. And that may be a reason. So there's a lot of factors that we have to take into consideration with diabetes. Absolutely. And am I right in thinking a large percentage of people with type 2 diabetes often don't even present with any symptoms. So why is it still an issue if they're not getting these symptoms? If they're not having any symptoms, it's because probably early in the game of their diagnosis. And the reason being is they're probably just, you can be a pre-diabetic for five years, let's say, and your insulin is being produced or your pancreas is producing insulin over time, triple time, quadruple time, and it's just producing a lot of insulin. But there comes a time when the pancreas starts to get tired and then starts to drop the production of insulin. And you may be a classical looking diabetic, but you are producing so much insulin. That is why there's a latent diagnosis of diabetes. And also the issue is uh, as far as the, uh, the weight is concerned, and then also, Patients not going to the doctor regardless of their symptoms, and uh, especially in men. Men don't like to go to the doctor, especially certain cultures, and that's also an issue. So when you look at the Italians, you look at the Hispanics, you look at some of the, uh, even the Indians, they don't want to go ahead and go to the doctor because they just don't want to, and it's a, it's, it's a problem. The wives bring them in, we evaluate them, and yeah, we find heart problems, diabetes, and a lot of other problems, but not until then. But it's a resistance of coming to the doctor to be diagnosed with something that's going on with them. That's interesting to hear that there's such a resistance to coming to the doctors. And like you say, there might be other symptoms or illnesses that are related to the weight or the genetics that could be causing equal damage, even if it's not diabetes. So. What are some of the major consequences of diabetes? Can you just tell us a bit about those? I will, but before I do that, I'm going to make one comment, and that is that in the world, diabetes is going to eat our lunch. In the next 20 years, let's say, we're going to have about 300 million diabetics. That means the, the whole United States will be diabetic if you compare it, because that's how frequently we're diagnosing diabetics, and it's becoming more and more. So let's start with the consequences of diabetes. First of all, if you end up having with the hemoglobin A1C of seven approximately, which is 150 all the time, you start having already the problems of retinopathy, which happens to be your eyesight becomes impaired. Not necessarily that you're blind, but you start having problems. You can have, you can have um, maybe a, some hemorrhages. You may have that or you may not. But then again, you start having a decrease of good circulation throughout the body. You could have a predisposition to having a stroke, obviously a problem with your eyes. 
the carotids, which happens to be the arteries right in your neck, that we use as the window to see what's going on in the rest of the body by doing ultrasounds. And the more narrow they are, we can see what's happening with the rest of the body. If they're nice and patent and open, then we can say, okay, the rest of the arteries in your body are not bad. But if you start having uh, clotting, or not clotting, but you start having atheromas in the, in the carotids, and they're increasing more and more and narrowing, then the rest of your body, your brain, your heart, your legs, other parts in your abdominal area, the arteries start becoming a little bit more, uh, the strictures are increased. So therefore, you have the carotids, and then also you have your heart. You start having angina, you start having problems with coronary heart disease, because the thick, the thick sugar also brings fat into the circulation making the blood a little more molasses-like, and that's why the microvasculature in our body becomes obstructed, then the middle-sized arteries, and they keeps going and going until the large arteries are affected, and that's how diabetes affects us. So we have the, uh, the, the uh, aorta in our abdomen. You can end up having aneurysm secondary to diabetes. You can end up having claudication, which is the difficulty in walking with your feet, your legs hurting when you walk, and that is claudication. That's indica indicative that there is a problem with good circulation, then we have to go in there, open up the arteries if we can. If not, there is loss of limb. The toes, they become necrotic, or the feet, and we have to do amputations. The intimacy in men and women, the, the intimacy may be a desire by men, but they can't do anything because of the fact that there's a neuropathy issue and a vascular issue, and you end up having the obstruction of arteries, and then the neuropathy, which happens to be the loss of an ability to function normal, the nervous system. It becomes inflamed, and because of inflammation, you have, you have like crawling uh, sensation in your legs. You have burning. You have difficulty walking appropriately because you may stumble a little bit because of the neuropathy. Because of the neuropathy, you end up having swelling in your lower extremities. The inability of the nerves to ma manage the vasoconstriction and dilatation of the arteries and the veins and everything, it's just not there. So therefore, you end up having uh, extreme swelling in your lower extremities because of neuropathy. That brings us the wounds because of the venous stagnation, the venous stasis dermatitis that occurs in the ankles, and then you end up having open wounds. So diabetes leads into a lot. So diabetes, the way I look at it, it eats you up a little bit at a time continuously. And then you have the diabetics that I call malignant diabetes. Those individuals that are about 40 to 50 years old that we attempt to do everything we possibly can with every specialty. And those patients still die young because of the fact that they are having diabetes like a locomotive coming through, we can't stop it. And they end up having the blindness, the cardiac events, the loss of kidneys, and also the loss of extremities. And then they die simply because they're just so aggressive in the diabetic syndrome. We've spoken about the two different types of diabetes. Are there differences in the way that each type of diabetes are treated? Yeah, I mean, we use, um, we use a lot of medications. The number one thing we need to do always, 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 always recommend exercise. 
Number two, weight loss. Number three, dietary intake should be something that they should be aware of. Unfortunately, the good stuff makes makes us sick. And healthy <laughs> stuff we don't want to eat, you know. And then obviously the use of um, oral medications, the use of pills that would give you the um, the control of the pancreas producing more insulin so you can control your sugar. The Many of the pills that we have uh, or medications that we take orally are, they're, they function in an indirect way for insulin to be produced and control our sugar. And when that doesn't happen, when the insulin stops producing an adequate amount of um, insulin, then we have to go to insulin itself. So when patients do not want to use insulin, they say, no, I don't want injections. I don't want to use insulin. What I tell them is not your decision anymore or my decision. It's your pancreas decision that you are not going to be able to utilize the uh, pills and you have to go on insulin simply because of the fact that you don't have the ability to produce the amount of insulin that you should be. So those are some of the things that happen. So with exercise, that just increases things so much better. It increases your circulation. It diminishes your medication. It diminishes your high sugar because your muscles are utilizing that sugar. And then also you lose weight. And mentally, you feel better. So exercise is uh, paramount for diabetics. Absolutely. And just to be clear, for type 1 and type 2 diabetes, are the, is the treatment generally the same? I mean, obviously exercise is good for both patient groups, but is there a, any differences? Usually, well, with type 1, yeah, in type 1, you have to use insulin. There's no other, there's no other medication that you can use or in combination. With type 2 diabetes, you can use all the modalities of treatment. You can use a combination of indirect medications. You can use a combination of pills. You can use a combination of insulin. You can come in, you can use medications that allow you to produce more insulin, what we call GLP-1s. So there's a lot of medications that you can use in type 2. The armamentarium there is vast. With diabetes type 1, no. You can only use insulin. That's my only control that you have. Okay, interesting. And we're kind of near the end now. Where should people go? If they're listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, those symptoms really resonate with me or I'm getting one of those or my loved one, where should the people of Bakersfield go if they are particularly concerned about diabetes? Well, I'm going to assume that many of them have their physicians. They have their medical group that takes care of them or the office that they go to, and that's the first stop. They need to go there. They need to go to the medical, uh, the people that take care of them frequently and then know them. If they don't have them, a doctor, many of them don't. If they don't, it's time to get one. It's time to have one, sign up with one, and continue to have a physical. If for any reason the patient has any problems, with the fact that they have already cardiac issues and they have peripheral artery disease, they have anything like that, your primary care will refer you 
to one of the institutions here in town that they will be able to evaluate you, get an ultrasound of the lower extremities or the heart, do stress tests, do thallium stress tests, all the cardiologists here in town that you know we refer to. And there's two or three large groups in town that pretty much do that. And then that's who we refer to, but it'll be up to the primary care doctor that will refer you to, to some of the uh, uh, large institutions or even the hospitals. I have a system of individuals that I refer to. In my case, I have two or three individuals, two or three areas that I refer to. And one of them is Dr. Kumar is the cardiovascular uh, system that he has there and also to um, take care of the peripheral artery disease. There's also podiatrists here in town that we send to and they will take care of the feet and we can identify if there's any problem with their lower extremities, especially the circulation. Remember one thing, if there's anything that I leave you with today, if the sugar being high in the, in the bloodstream which draws fat into the circulation. If that did not become so viscous, so thick, obstructing our microvasculature or the little tiny arteries that we have, we would never have a problem with diabetes. It would not be an issue. But because of the fact that it starts to block, obstruct, stricture, our circulation in the microvasculature, then it goes into the more, uh, the larger, larger arteries then that's why diabetes is an issue. And that's why we lose our ability to see, we end up having our strokes, we end up having our, cardi our heart attacks, our stents, our kidneys are gone, we have to go to hemodialysis, the inability to have intimacy, and also the loss of lower extremities secondary to the obstruction of the arteries that we can no longer take you know, we no longer have circulation. We develop wounds, we develop uh, ulcers. And if we cannot heal them, then you're going to end up with amputations. So this is the gradual loss of body parts with diabetes. And that's the essence of it all. Absolutely. But I think, as you mentioned before, it's, it must put people's minds at ease to hear that there are so many experts out there that are able to help them um, if they're willing to be helped I guess and it's been such an interesting and helpful conversation Dr Alvarez. I just want you to have a kind of final word today. Um, what is the key takeaway for people with diabetes or who could potentially have diabetes? What's the key takeaway from our discussion today? My final recommendation if you, di if you have diabetes it is probably an illness that is not going to go away. You have to learn how to manage it and you have to take it very seriously because it will always have the upper hand. You will not have the upper hand. I will always tell the patients, you need to take the bull by the horns and control diabetes or diabetes is going to control you. That is always easier to say, but diabetes is really a powerful illness. You just have to stay on top of it all the time. Pay attention, take care of yourself, exercise. Eat as the best that you can as far as uh, healthy. And then just ride the waves until the end because there's no other way other than you taking care of it. Not your mom, not your dad, not your parents. You have to take care of yourself. 
That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Dr. Alvarez. It's been great chatting to you. And that's some great kind of expert insights for our audience today. Thank you so much. You're most certainly welcome. That's our show for today. We hope you've learned a little something today and we'll tune in next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Bakersfield Health Channel. If you wish to speak to someone about the issues discussed today, you can do so by visiting www.heartandleg.com or contacting 661-324-4100. And please do share this podcast with anyone that you think might benefit from the information learned today. You never know, it could be the helping hand that someone needs. From the Bakersfield Health Channel, may you walk stronger and live longer.